So I'll just do a quick um, introduction. So my name's Tisha Hadra. I, along with Anastasia Fuentes and Phil Allen, are the leaders of the Racial Justice Initiative. And we exist as a place where people of all races and cultures can come together to learn about, discuss, and hopefully also act on issues of racial justice in the various contexts where uh, Fuller exists. So we're super excited about this uh, joint activity and joint uh, afternoon with the Asian American Center. And uh, last, last quarter, we were with the Pinnell Center, so we're excited to be with the Asian American Center this quarter. And we're extra blessed to have Dr. Daniel Lee, who is the Assistant Provost of the um, Center for Asian American Theology and Ministry. I wanted to make sure I got you it got all that right. correct. So I got yeah. It. Well, because I put it on a post-it note on my, <laughs> on my laptop because I wanted to get it right. Um, uh, and so he has raised uh, some very provocative and important questions that I'm excited for him to tee up for us and hopefully kick off some really cool uh Discussion. So, Dr. Lee, if you wouldn't mind praying for our meal, and then and then you take it from there, yeah. Right. Gracious God, we acknowledge you as the Lord of all. Mm. That in the midst of uh, even our current and continuing political tumult and long histories of. Uh, violence, struggle, and injustice. Um, in the midst of all that, we acknowledge you and confess you as Lord. Uh, we thank you that we're able to have this time together to discuss. Recording has started. <laughs> to discuss and also um, to be able to learn together. Uh, we thank you for this time, this meal that we can have. And uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so... Um, let me first start out, start out by talking about uh, just very short, very brief history of the Asian American Center. Uh, uh, there has been, you know, we're in Southern California, capital of Asian America. So, uh, you know, fellers in what, in what, 70 years history, from the 60s they've had Asian American students. Actually, earlier on it was Japanese American students. Um, the 60s, where they really wanted to do something, and it didn't really take, because it was, and I think that was under SIS, I mean, School of World Mission, saying, oh, these are, you know, some Japanese foreign people here, even though they were already, like, second generation, right, in the 60s, actually. Yeah. Um, and then in the 80s, it was actually a, a Chinese-American program, even though it was under, once again, School of World Missions, because I think there's this continual notion of the fact that Asian-Americans are, like, a bunch of, like, Foreigners living with us, right? I, I, uh, I won't say which, I won't say who, but there was an SIS faculty who said, you know what, those SOT faculty don't understand what's going on. The nations are here with us now. And I was like, who are the nations? Because you. I was like, when did I become the nations? Because I am the nation, I am America, and you're the nations, because obviously these random immigrants are hanging out with us, even though we have 150 years of Asian American history. So it just doesn't, it, it just doesn't, doesn't stop, right? So, uh, and then when we started, and then of course in the 90s, they tried to have a Korean-American program because they weren't really understanding the racialized kind of coalitioning of Asian-Americans. So um, when we started, Fuller couldn't distinguish Korean-Americans and the broader Asian-American context, or the Korean program, right? And the Korean program here, at least at that time, was 70% overseas. So... Uh, 
And they said, well, look, one of the higher administrators who himself, you know, talks about diversity a lot, said, well, look, you're talking about the kids and younger generation of the Korean program. And I said, you want to tell a fourth generation Japanese American that the international Korean is their elder? Like, they're, I mean, what does that mean, right? It just makes no sense whatsoever. So I think we've worked hard to make sure that we understand the Asian American experience and identity as something broader than international Korean experience, obviously. But that's a huge struggle, which shouldn't be live in SoCal, but that's been a lot of struggle for the institution, for them to make a distinction and realizing the fact that this is actually not an Asian people just hanging out with us, but this is a long history of Asian Americans. Um, so that's kind of a backdrop to Asian American Center. Um, this, is our, this is officially our, our, what, third year of the Asian American Center. It just took so long to further to, further to figure out the fact that Asian Americans was a thing because they, they thought, we have Koreans down, so we're good. We have Hispanics, blacks, and Koreans. We're good. We're done. <laughs> and I was like, what are you going to do with the Taiwanese Americans and the Filipinos? And Well, they're, they're just there, but the Koreans, we're good. Right? So, it just took us a long time to kind of understand that, which is actually quite common in the theological world. So that's the backdrop of that. I think it's important to know, because I think it's, it might be confusing because we're still meeting at a Korean center space, right? <laughs> and so, yeah. So once again, I mean, I, it's, so that it's one of those things to make sure that, I, I think, I, how many times do I have to kind of help distinguish Asian and Asian American center? Like just because that's, um, that, that distinction is important uh, because you don't want to tell you know, a fourth generation Chinese American well you're like Chinese I'm like no they're not <laughs> you know? Trump is only third generation on his father's side mm-hmm. nobody asks him that mm-hmm. I mean he himself doesn't ask him that right? mm-hmm. Obama obviously on his father's side is second generation right so on his mother's side once again, even Trump on his fa- mother's side is second generation we think about what we consider to be immigrants and migrants, but we have a particular definition of that, and that's racialized. Mm-hmm. So, that's his background. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, um, oh, feel free throughout this whole thing, because I don't have... Well, I think the discussion will be more helpful than just what I say. So, I have a couple of slides that kind of guide our discussion, but I want to start by talking about uh, Roland... Roland Barthes, who's a French philosopher in his book, Mythologies, he has this chapter on there called on, on ma, ma, uh, to, uh, his myth today. Myth today, that's basically what the essay is called. And he says, and what he's really talking about is a particular ways of understanding the world. And I think I would almost call them like propaganda, like how we have narratives, narratives or myth, mythologies about how the world is. And he's a phrase, he's a... He's a particular kind of uh, understanding of how a myth is created, modern myth is created. And he says, you erase history and you only talk about culture. You erase history and you only talk about culture. Now, I'll give you a very blatant example. Let's say you drive to South Central, Compton, and you say, look at the culture of these black people. The culture of this, culture of violence, culture of drug abuse, of pop, that's, that's who they are. They are, mm-hmm. right? It's a cultural problem. They happen to have this culture, we have this culture, right? And of course, Asian Americans have their own culture, so that must be a purely a cultural thing. If you erase history, 
things become absolutely incomprehensible and it becomes pure propaganda. If you erase the history of what, I mean, uh, if you erase the history of slavery and the legacy of that, if you erase the history of, uh, of, of all the, what, um, uh, what am I thinking about? Jim Crow laws, if you erase history of, of the struggle of civil rights, I mean, people literally walk with King, and they're still alive, right? If you erase that, if you erase what happened after World War II, that World War II, the GI Bill, and, and, and who benefited from all that, that's basically where all the California money came from. Black people didn't get that. They didn't get that. So a lot of the World War II veterans would say, well, we worked hard. We literally lifted ourselves up with, you know, with our bootstraps. Is that true? There's a whole GI Bill you got that black people didn't get. Along with that, the red line laws. So if you put all that together, is it culture? No, it's incomprehensible. But that's what we do. You talk about Asian Americans doing well, you know, the immigration policies only literally skimmed off from the crop in Asia. They brought people who were educated. So people who came were already educated, already very Christian, by the way, because, you know, Korean American uh, uh, Christian population, at least in, in America, is like 60, 70 percent. You're like, oh, my gosh, Korea is one of the Christianized you know, countries in the world. You go to Korea, it's actually 25 percent. There's a lot of atheists in Korea. Korea as a, as a whole is not a Christian nation. Now, a lot of people in, in cause urbanized places, intellectual places are Christian. They have outweighed influence in the nation. But that's not what's happening in Korea, right? So you have a very different perspective because of the politics of our nation, of the history of what it is. The fact that Asian Americans went from being yellow peril, like terrible Asians, to modern minority. And even that has a history of Cold War as well. The fact that you was needed to look good in Asia. If you erase that history, you say, Asian Americans are doing well. What's wrong with the black people? It's their culture. That's how propaganda and myth gets propagated. That's very, very important to understand. So today, this is our background. Today, I want to talk about history. Because without history, everything becomes incomprehensible, right? So uh, there are three moments of history I want to talk about. And I'm going to stop at every single one so we can kind of talk about it and if there are any questions. And then we'll, at the end, kind of talk about this more broadly. Um, this title of this meeting um, session called Is Yellow Black or White comes from the scholar named Gary Okihiro, who basically taught at Columbia University for a long time, and now he's retired and he's actually teaching at Yale. But I have been really influenced by his, his books and just the way he's actually bringing up and understanding the Asian American experience. And it's actually very different than some, how some people see it. So uh, let me kind of bring this up. So first moment in history is the history of early Asian indentured labor. A lot of books about immigration say, oh, 150 years ago, Asian American immigrants, Asian immigrants came to America. That is not what this was. Indentured labor was, was slave labor that U.S. And, and other European countries got from Asia. And why did they get it from Asia? Because in England, they banned slavery. And in America, they just got over civil war. They needed slave labor, right? This is during the Reconstruction era. So they said, let's get slave labor. They got it from Asia. They got it from India, and they got it from China. And how they shipped them, just like the Middle Passage. 
I mean, they put them in, and they met, so many people died, and they brought, who did they bring? They brought men, because they didn't want the pop, U.S. population to change. They only wanted labor, mm-hmm. right? Now, if you erase this history, you say, well, Asian Americans have been immigrating for a long time, seek the American dream. Absolutely incomprehensible, because it's not true, right? It turns out that instead of, instead of, um, Asians coming to America, America as an empire has already gone to Asia. That's the first move. And then because of that, right, because of that, they brought labor and they were actually able to kind of continue their imperialism. That history, without that history, once again, Asian American anything, and so much of American history becomes incomprehensible. So this is where Okihiro says, wait a minute, this is the roots of Asian American population, right, in America. And that's basically why, and then after that, Reconstruction, right, ended. Because we said, oh, you know, and, and Jim Crow laws stuff began. So at that point, they didn't need labor from Asia anymore, right? They never wanted a population from Asia, they just wanted labor. But after that, and this is one of the reasons why, if you go to like Louisiana, and there, there actually are people, uh, Chinese communities there, who basically uh, were brought over to work in the cotton farms, you know, I mean, cotton fields. Like, there's a whole history of these people who are like Chinese of the South. Now, we have erased that history, but that's basically how they came. Knowing that history is really interesting in terms of how we see what immigration looks like, because it's how things are labeled, right? But that's not... Uh, and if you f- use that particular rubric or framework to understand Asian American, like I- you know, immigrants from the past or migrants from the past, you get a very skewed view, like as though these people just kind of came and there were just obstacles in the way. No, they were actually brought in slave labor. So how do you kind of remember that? I mean, continually, I think one of the things that we want to do is remember history to understand where we are, because it echoes of history, and you see. And so, right around when they were now trying to kick, you know, kick out all the indentured labor, they had the Chinese Exclu- Exclusion Acts. This is this is the end of you know nineteenth century. And said we don't want these people. And if you if you uh, look at the, and there's a recent documentary that came out on Chinese Exclusion Act, just because all the rhetoric is pretty much exactly the same as now, right? And back then they literally said let's keep. California white, because it was really about California, right? That's how they talked about it. I mean, there's like LA Times or some newspaper that said, you know, US, America is still white. That's basically what they proclaimed as part of the Chinese Exclusion, Exclusion Act, which is the first, first racist immigration law, right? That's where it came from. So the question is, what does that look like and how do we understand history? Um, and during that time, of course, there was all the lynchings. So people, people talk about, because people think lynchings as in like South, South. Well, in the West Coast, lynchings were really targeted to Chinese, right? They really literally like, you know, like open like, you know, season on Chinese, right? Because they couldn't testify against a white man. So what does that look like? Even in Seattle, even in other places, all throughout, there are all these lynchings in different places. One of the biggest lynchings in US, American U.S. history is that it happened right in L.A. But we don't know that history. We have a multicultural, diverse, you know, uh, Jonathan Gold, you know, if you know who's a food critic, right? 
wonderful. And I love Jonathan Gold. He talks about just the fact that there's so many different communities here. We, we, LA is so different than this is the West you know, left coast, like the not like the, we've totally forgotten about all of our history. So I think, how do you remember that? How do you remember the fact that this is our history and there are repercussions, like there are echoes of this thing continuing on. Um, so I want to stop there and, and kind of help us digest a little bit and see if you have any questions about that. If you don't, we can continue it as well. But any clarification questions or if you have thoughts about that, you, or you just try to digest it and kind of sharing. So if you can. I'm curious about the yeah. statistics, um, but I, I know that before there was you know, the lynchings, 190 years of lynching of black bodies. I know that the lynching was long. Yeah, yeah. Been a thing. Right, right. So I'm curious as to statistics and, and where can I go to get statistics? Yeah, I mean, there, there are particular books that talk about, particularly like, you know, Chinese American, and, I mean, Mexican Americans too, right? So there's West Coast lynchings that are very, very different. Let me try to get, get you the book on that. I can't think of it. I remember reading, this, reading about this book, but I can't remember actually what the book is. So, yeah, but this particular way of thinking about uh, Chinese and Mexican bodies in, in the West Coast, especially in California, right? It, it kind of, you have a different lens to see how, um, how the, how white normativity and supremacy has kind of legally functioned and how, what, the, what the fruits of that was in different places. Now, there's different expressions of it, but what does it look like? What did it look like all across the you know, West Coast, right? Especially like even, even in Seattle where, I mean, literally, like, just people are burning places down, right? People are burning places down, like Cannery, Cannery Road, like right around there. I mean, the whole Chinese neighborhood just burnt down, everybody kicked out, red line lost. So what does it look like? So let me, I'll show you see things give you the book on that. Um, about the whole idea of America going to Asia. Uh, Okihiro talks about this thing, and I, I didn't think of it this way. He said, you know what, when you look at World War II, what do you think happened? And I said, Oh, yeah, well, I mean, America, we were just living peacefully. Like, you know, some of these movies like Pearl Harbor or Torah, 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 we were just living peacefully, you know, playing baseball, going to church, right? You know, baking apple pie, you know, whatever, right? Just peaceful existence, hanging out by ourselves. Suddenly, out of nowhere, these crazy Japanese nuts, right? They come bomb us. We did nothing, right? Absolute propaganda. Absolute propaganda. I mean, you look at Matthew Perry, how he forced Japan, right, to trade with, with guns. And they call it, you know, black ship, like, diplomacy, right? They went there and said, you will trade with us. Japan freaked out, and they see uh, the British and also America taking over parts of the world and seeing Asia. They get into hyper mode of modernizing and trying to figure out what do they do. So it instigates this thing. Now, is this in any way, you know, excusing what you... No. I mean, that's, but the bigger geopolitics of what ended up happening, U.S. was already, at that moment, they, the U.S. massacred 200,000 people, right, in the Philippines because it was already a car back then, right? So we erased that. If you erase that history of us taking over and being a, being a power in the, in the Pacific, then things make no sense. Like, World War II makes no sense. It was almost as though just... And Japan's motto at the time was Asia for Asians. We should get this back. And more than anybody else, we think we can do it. So get on board and we're going to conquer you to make sure that we can get Asia back. Now, is it just... No, of course not. 
But it's very interesting in terms of what this looks like, <coughs> right? I kind of, my illustration is how a lot of the native, uh, you know, movies about the West, like, oh, there's this little poor, you know, white pilgrimer with, with all this, you know, kids and stuff, and out of nowhere, these Native Americans, Indians come and shoot us all, and they all massacre everybody, yeah. <laughs> right? They would just mind their own business, right? Just peacefully colonizing the, <laughs> the, the country and out of nowhere these people come. Right? No history. Without history, it becomes incomprehensible. Why are they shooting at us? Why are they massacring women and children? First of all, who went there before? That idea, when you pick up history at a particular place, things just become absolutely incomprehensible and then you explain it by, with culture. Well, I mean, they were beasts. Native, those Indians were beasts. That's why they massacred everybody, even the women and children. That explanation is basically what we get. That's the propaganda. And without history, that's the only one that can make sense. Right? And so that's basically what we're talking about when we talk about indentured labor and also the geopolitics of how America as, a, as an imperial power has functioned in Asia. Without, and this is something very, very... I mean, I would say most Asian-Americans have no understanding of this thing. Because why? Our educational system and what we learned, how we learned, is, our education is exactly like what mainstream America has been, right? Mine too, right? I had to find this thing and I was like, oh, that is weird. Is that true? <laughs> you know, because I know what I saw on, you know, the movie Pearl Harbor with Ben Affleck and oh, let's bomb those guys, you know I mean? That's basically what I grew up with. So that's basically the way in which we internalize these things. That's the first moment, very beginning of Asian-American history. What does it mean to understand Asian-Americans now? Well, even some of the recent immigrants, they're not going to understand this thing, but this is the history of, the racial history of Asian-Americans. Second moment. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, real, real quickly, I mean, yeah. you, you know, even, even as we pursue history, right, yeah. I think we need to be discerning which source we're getting from, because a lot of the stuff that is out there in the you know, the, the standard curriculum right. itself is a propaganda already, right, right. correct? Yeah, and every country, right? Because, I mean, we're, talk, we're talking about, like, in Japan, Japan or whatever. Japan, yeah, yeah. everywhere, right? So how do we think about that? How do we see that the fact that curriculums there are very political? So, um, yeah, it, I, and what we say, what we don't say, what we problematize, what we don't, that's one of the reasons why all the discussions <laughs> we're having a filler talking about curriculum is re, it, it has such a long... Uh, uh, deep, deep roots, and also it's part of just our Western and American educational system. I mean, how do we change that? Well, it's, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult. But how do we keep on working on those things? And how do we keep on remembering and learning about history? And as we talk about these discussions, how do we actually have a historical remembrance or awareness so we can frame these discussions correctly? Yes, Phil? When you talk about um, those early stages and the lynchings and slave labor for Asian immigrants, where was the, what was the, the Christian church's presence at that time on the West Coast? Was it the yeah. same as the South? Yeah. Um, or was it sparse? Because that, my follow-up question would be, because if there's a Christian presence, then shouldn't this be a part of history classes? when we talk about Christianity, particularly in America. Right. I would say there were, there were some missions, right? And because some missions, a presence was there in, in Asia as well. I mean, this is where, even when we, when we think about uh, David Livingston, right? I mean, you are the 
pillars of whatever, right? You realize the fact that he's still functioning and he's still thinking about civilization, right? Civilization, commerce, and Christianity. It's just always intertwined. Like, how do, you, how do you make sense? Even as he's trying to figure out how to use those things to help Africa, he's still in place in all those things. I mean, the church presence is there, but what the last example I'll give just talks about how complicated <laughs> this is. The fact that sometimes churches are just totally complicit in all this, right? Um, so, good question. Let's but let's think about this because there's and because there's a, there's a lot of research in these things, right? And well, sometimes because especially Asian American studies, they have been very skeptical of Christian influence because literally Christianity has been used to colonize, right? So if you go to Asian American studies conferences, they don't really like Christianity that much, and a lot of Asian American studies departments within universities they're very suspect of Christians because if you use a religious ideology to make people totally blind and tell everybody the fact that America is a great nation, the promised land, and you see so many Asian Americans buying into it and causing more damage, how do you help them, right? Um, so there are some scholars who basically absolutely are anti-Christian, right? Some Asian American scholars. And overall, there hasn't really been, and this is one of the reasons why like some Asian American Christians, they haven't been able to find connections to Asian American studies, right? Because they're so angry, first of all, and you're like, well, we shouldn't be angry <laughs> as Christians if you think that way. And then if you think, um, if you think the fact that they're, they're lumping the empire with Christianity, and there are good reasons for doing so, then how do you make the connections? I think that there are now scholars in different places that obviously, I mean, there have been too, Christians in different places, even in Asian American studies, but overall as a discipline, it's, it's actually not really made a big impact, even though there are, there are significant American Christians in, um, um, in the, throughout Asian American history. Ames? I just want to comment, Phil, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great question. Um, I was working on another project on uh, the historian of California, his name is Kevin Starr. He's got this 10-volume history of California. So this doesn't touch Oregon or Washington, but you know, as I went through that, I remember a couple of things. One is the, the uh, uh, mission presence of the Catholics. Right, right. That was strong going back into the into the 17th century. Um, the Dust Bowl of the 20s and 30s brought a lot of the uh, Christian, okay. Christian denominations, from, particularly the South, into California. Before that, there's a long history of California having all sorts of uh, reputations for generating new movements. Mm-hmm. And actually, that continues like even through the 60s and so on that we, that we know about. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, sort of theos- theos- theosophical movements, mm-hmm. California, mm-hmm. late 19th century, early 20th century, a lot of sort of fringe movements. Sort of, that's, so in other words, there's a, there's a church presence, but it's always a kind of really fluid interaction with all kinds of different things bubbling up. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this steady Catholic presence all the way through, but it's, it's really the wild, wild west in terms of Christianity as well as all of the different mixes that these different sort of Christian movements sort of syncretize with, if you will. Not, not real strong sort of denominational kinds of presences in California like, like in other parts of the so that's sort of my basic recollection of right. Yeah. yeah, so much of the east, east and I mean north and south, you know, division that kind of colors so much of the denominations is just where does California fit in, right? So it just it just doesn't impact us the way in the same way, right? I mean, like you look at Presbyterian or Baptist. I mean, that, that division actually what.